MSW Media. News with swearing. Daily beans, daily beans. Daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Friday, September 11th, 2020. Today, a federal judge allows a lawsuit into Trump's inaugural committee to go forward. The U.S. Treasury sanctions Rudy Giuliani's Biden information source, Durkacz, for being a Russian agent. Another Russian is indicted, this time for mail fraud in the Russian election interference project LACTA. A unanimous three-judge panel ruled that President Trump's order to exclude undocumented immigrants from the census numbers for apportioning congressional districts is unlawful. Should Bob Woodward have released the Trump tapes earlier? And Microsoft says Russian, Chinese, and Iranian hackers are targeting the 2020 presidential election. I'm your host, A.G. Hey, everybody. We have so much news today, uh, including the lead in the A block. We have a new indictment in the Russian election interference investigation. And it's Friday, which means I'll be speaking with Amy Carrera later in the show. We also have an interview with the director and producer of the documentary film Unfit. It's about Trump's fitness for office. And um, also, don't forget, today is our live stream happy hour, and that's at 4 Pacific for patrons. And from 5 to 5.30 Pacific time, we will open it up to the public. So that's going to be fun, and we will see you there. We have so much news to get to today, including a new indictment and a pal of Kaludi Rudy being sanctioned. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, everybody, lead story today, in my mind, comes directly from the U.S. Treasury, and it's big. This is, uh, here's some reporting from Kyle Cheney and Natasha Bertrand over at Politico. They say, the Treasury Department has designated Andrei Durkacz, a pro-Russian Ukrainian promoting discrediting allegations against Joe Biden for sanctions related to foreign interference in the U.S. election. Durkacz, who was previously identified as a malign actor by the intelligence community, met with Trump's lawyer Rudy Giuliani, Kaludi Rudy, in Ukraine in December. And this was as Giuliani was mounting an effort to obtain dirt on Biden's relationships in Ukraine. On Thursday, the administration went even further in tying Durkacz to the Kremlin. And this is new, at least not, you know, for public reporting, not to us. We knew this. Quote, Durkacz, a member of the Ukrainian parliament, has been an active Russian agent for over a decade active Russian agent for over a decade, maintaining close connections with the Russian intelligence services. Durkacz has directly or indirectly engaged in, sponsored, concealed, or otherwise been complicit in foreign interference in an attempt to undermine the upcoming 2020 U.S. presidential election. Durkacz has previously denied trying to interfere in the election, calling it nonsense. Uh, he told that to he said that to Politico uh, over the summer, and he has not responded to Politico for comment about his sanctions designation. But Treasury's announcement underscores growing evidence that Russia is mounting a similar campaign uh, that it did in 2016. And they're trying to do this to boost Trump's candidacy and damage Biden. Uh, Trump administration intelligence officials have concluded that Russia is seeking to damage Biden and support Trump through actors like Durkacz. Uh, in addition to Durkacz, the Treasury also sanctioned three Russian nationals accused of mounting a uh, campaign to influence the U.S. elections, in part through identity theft. And... In a separate action. And I mean, if you think about 
the Durkoch, uh, Kaludi Rudy stuff. It, you know, remember when Rudy got the dossier on the Bidens and put it in a parchment envelope and put calligraphy on it and said, to the Department of Justice from the White House. And it was from him and it was all this bullshit information. And Rudy even put together a podcast with Durkoch. Uh, overseas. And I mean, these are, Giuliani's going down soon. These are FARA violations. Um, And we have a new indictment in the Eastern District of Virginia. And this is in a separate action. Um, They charged one of these Russian nationals, one of the three accused of mounting a campaign to influence uh, the U.S. elections. Um, They they, um, indicted Artem Lifshitz, with conspiracy to commit wire fraud, connecting the large-scale election interference, this is connected to the large-scale election interference operation. The charging document describes Lifshitz's connections to a group known as the LACTA Project that has been seeking to influence politics in the United States since 2014. Uh, and they were relying on illegal cryptocurrency transfers and stolen identities. The document also describes the group's social media strategy aimed at fanning racial and political strife. So now we're talking, we're back into the social media influence sphere, which I just spoke to uh, Peter Strzok about yesterday and his new book, Compromised. Now, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo issued a separate statement hailing the new sanctions decision and asserting that Durkacz sought to influence the views of American voters through Russian-directed covert influence campaigns centered on manipulating the American political process. The goal, Pompeo said, was to advance Russia's malign interest in Ukraine and was designed to culminate prior to election day. Now, how Russian do you have to be? How closely tied to the Kremlin do you have to be to get Steve to slap sanctions on you and to get Pompeo to say that you're interfering? And how is Trump going to respond to this? Is the I don't know if he I haven't heard anything about this um, from him. Of course, the mainstream media is not covering it right now. But in an earlier statement, Durkacz denounced efforts quote, to tie me to the special services of other countries like Russia, and said his critics were trying to discredit him by drawing attention to his studies at Moscow's FSB Academy, formerly known as the uh, Dzerzhinsky Higher School of the KGB. It's a spy school. Durkacz's father, Leonid, was a KGB operative for decades before becoming the head of Ukraine security services, and he was fired in 2004 over his alleged involvement in a murder plot. Cool family. Only the best people, Rudy. Uh, quote, the main purpose of our activity is pursuing the interests of Ukraine, exposing international corruption, and maintaining partnership relations between strategic partners, Ukraine and the United States. Uh, that's from Durkacz at the time. He had hired lobbyists earlier this year to set up meetings for him with former White House officials and current White House officials, members of the Senate Foreign Relations and House Affairs Committees. Durkacz has since alleged his visa was revoked and his lobbyists dropped him as a client last month. And we reported on that. That's why I was like, you know, fire up that fantasy indictment league for Kaludi Rudy. One of the lobbyists told Politico that they have been cooperating with U.S. law enforcement. So now he's on the sanctions list. I'm not sure why Durkacz hasn't been indicted or Rudy in the Eastern District of Virginia, because that's where this indictment came out of. But I'm waiting for it any day. And now Democrats have raised alarm bells about evidence that Durkacz has dis- disseminated, um, you know, this anti-Biden information to Republican lawmakers who have been investigating Biden's role in Ukraine, worrying he was seeding disinformation into ongoing con- congressional probes. We've talked about this. The Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee, chaired by Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, Russia Ron, has been investigating Hunter Biden's work on the board of a Ukraine energy company. 
Though Johnson has sharply denied the suggestion that Durkacz has supplied the committee with any information, Democrats have accused him of amplifying discredited allegations that originated from pro-Russia factions in Ukraine. And we also know that Fertosh is tied to this. Levin Igor are tied to this. Fraud guarantee was the money vehicle for this. So, I mean, there, there's so much evidence. And, and I, I'm wondering if Eastern District of Virginia is holding off, you know, because the Department of Justice sort of has this unwritten 60-day rule about not, uh, you know, indicting anyone within 60 days of an election. Uh, I don't know if they're applying that to Rudy, um, but here we are. Durkacz uh, has also promoted leaked audio recordings of Biden's conversation with Ukrainian leaders when he was leading or when he was leading the Obama administration's diplomatic and anti-corruption efforts in the country. Remember to fire that Shokin guy. Uh, Trump has amplified awareness of the tapes on his Twitter feed, promoting coverage of them by pro-Trump TV station OAN, which has dedicated significant airtime to the leaked tapes. Trump's in on this. So that's all very fascinating. And there's more news about election interference today from The Wall Street Journal, CNN and The New York Times. The Russian military intelligence unit that attacked the DNC and DCCC four years ago is back with new, more stealthy attacks aimed at campaign staff members, consultants and think tanks associated with both Democrats and Republicans. Now, remember, when Fancy Bear and Cozy Bear hacked the DNC and DCCC, I think it was just Cozy Bear. Yeah, I think so. Um, they also hacked the RNC, but we never saw the fruits of the, that labor or of that hack. And, you know, I spoke to Peter Strzok yesterday and, and asked, like, well, you know, because Strzok came out and said the Russians got way more than they let out. Um, and so he wasn't allowed. He wasn't at liberty to say what they had. But he and he knows what they had. But they had a lot. And now um, we have more stealthy attacks according to the Times. And this is campaign staff members and think tanks and consultants with, again, both parties. The warning issued Thursday by the Microsoft Corporation in an assessment that is far more detailed than any yet made public by American intelligence agencies. That's where where it came from was Microsoft. And the findings come one day after a government whistleblower claimed that officials at the White House and Department of Homeland Security suppressed intelligence concerning Russia's continuing interference because it made the president look bad and instructed government analysts to instead focus on interference by China and Iran. Uh, Microsoft did find that Chinese and Iranian hackers have been active, but not in the way President Trump and his aides have suggested. And again, Peter Strzok and I spoke about this yesterday. Such a prescient interview. Of course, that bit of the story is missing from the mainstream media headlines. You know, the headline is Russia, China and Iran hacking 2020. Not Russia's hacking 2020 and China and Iran are doing some shit, too. And, of course, Evanina, who's putting out these reports, are sort of equating them. And, and, and Barr went out on national television and said China's the worst. And, so, and that's what Trump is pushing, too. And we've seen that in these leaked Republican uh, campaign memos saying, blame China, blame China for coronavirus, blame China for Biden. China's going to rig the elections. China, China. An assessment done by the director of national intelligence last month said China preferred Biden. That's true. Uh, but the Microsoft report complicated that finding somewhat because it found Chinese hackers have attacked the private email accounts of Mr. Biden's campaign staff members, along with a range of other prominent people in academia and the national security establishment, including groups like the Atlantic Council and the Stimson Center. Notably, one of the Chinese targets detected by Microsoft was affiliated with Trump. So, hmm. 
Now, Thea McDonald, who's Dep- Deputy National Press Secretary for the Trump campaign, said, We are a large target. <laughs> so it is not surprising to see malicious activity directed at the campaign or our staff. We work closely with our partners, Microsoft and others, to mitigate these threats. Mm-mm-mm. She would not comment on specific cybersecurity measures that the campaign was taking because it's probably not taking any. The Biden campaign said it's aware of the reports from Microsoft that a foreign actor has made unsuccessful attempts to access non-campaign email accounts of individuals affiliated with the campaign and that it was preparing for the inevitable onslaught of attacks in the coming weeks. While the campaign did not confirm the company's reporting, it has taken issue with the director of national intelligence's assessments, uh, the ones, especially the one issued several weeks ago, that Chinese leaders prefer Biden to Trump. The Microsoft investigation concluded that hackers related to the GRU, that's the military intelligence unit that oversaw the hack and leak efforts in 2016 that made emails from Hillary Clinton's campaign public, um, that they were going to new lengths now to hide their tracks. They're routing some of the attacks through Tor, a service that conceals the attacker's whereabouts and identity, which slowed the effort to identify the hackers. They're getting better. Microsoft's findings came just two weeks after the director of national intelligence, Ratcliffe, declared he would no longer let intelligence agencies give detailed in-person briefings about election interference to Congress. He said the restrictions were because of leaks. Well, we have one now, don't we, Ratcliffe? In a statement, Christopher Krebs, who directs the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency at DHS, said, We are aware that Microsoft detected attempts to compromise email accounts of people and organizations associated with the upcoming election. He also noted, None are involved in maintaining or operating voting infrastructure, and there was no identified impact on election systems. He also said the company's announcement is consistent with earlier statements by the intelligence community on a range of malicious cyber activities targeting 2020 campaign, and reinforces that this is an all-of-nation effort to defend democracy. Krebs, who was a Microsoft executive before joining the Trump administration, said his agency was releasing guidance for improving cyber defenses against account compromise attacks. There's no question that Microsoft's assessment complicates this administration's narrative that China is a bigger threat to U.S. elections than Russia. Both National Security Advisor Robert C. O'Brien and Bill Barr said in interviews last week, the one with Wolf Blitzer we told you about as well. So that's what's going on. That's what's happening. A lot of Russian hacking news, a lot of election interference news. We have an indictment. We have somebody being three or four people slapped with sanctions, including Giuliani's best friend. Uh, Also today from NBC, a judge has denied a bid to dismiss a lawsuit alleging uh, Donald Trump's inaugural committee um, and the Trump organization misused nonprofit funds to enrich the president's family business. The suit brought by Washington, D.C. Attorney General Carl Racine in January alleges that the president's inaugural committee was aware it was being overcharged for services at Trump's Washington, D.C. downtown hotel and spent over a million dollars there, including money for a private party for Trump's three older children. The Trump inaugural committee argued, in part, that Racine's office failed to show a violation of the Nonprofit Act and does not allege that the committee is continuing to act in a manner that violates the law, according to court papers. So, those are the lead stories today. We will be back with Amy Carrero and News from Under the Radar. You don't want to miss it. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. 
Hey everybody, it's AG, and today's episode of The Daily Beans is brought to you by Magic Spoon. I love Magic Spoon. Uh, ever since I was a kid, I loved cereal. It was my favorite food. I would eat it watching Saturday morning cartoons, and then I would drink the milk after. But as an adult, I've had to give it up because of all the sugar and carbs. But I'm so excited to share Magic Spoon. It's a cereal that's so tasty, you will not believe it is made without all the sugar and carbs, and it's actually good for you. It's Forbes magazine says, with cereal that tastes this good and is so healthy... Uh, and offers so much nutritional value as opposed to none. Magic Spoon may be the future of breakfast, and I agree. And also lunch and dinner. I eat it all day. Uh, they, the Magic Spoon cereals have zero sugar, 12 grams of protein, and only three net grams of carbs in each serving. And get this. It is keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, high-protein, and GMO-free. And the best part is it's friggin' delicious. It's got four amazing flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and blueberry. Brings back all the kid magic. And it tastes so incredible, it's too good to be true, but it's real. My favorite flavor right now uh, was cocoa, but now I'm onto the frosted, and it's so delicious. Uh, I sometimes just eat it dry, or I'll have a big bowl of it in the morning. It's so healthy. And it's guilt-free. So go to magicspoon.com slash dailybeans to grab a variety pack and try it today. Be sure to use our promo code dailybeans at checkout for free shipping. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it is backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money, no questions asked. That's magicspoon.com slash dailybeans, and use promo code dailybeans for free shipping. And we thank Magic Spoon for sponsoring the podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It is time for headlines from Under the Radar. And joining me to discuss them is my hero, Amy Carrero. How are you, Amy? How was your week? You're my hero. My week is great. I am in Canada for a couple of months. And let me tell you, couldn't have gotten out at a better time. Lucky. I know. (laughs) Lucky. (laughs) But I will be back before Election Day um, for sure. But it is kind. I'm not going to brag, but I'm bragging. I'm just saying they got their shit together up here. What are you doing up there? I'm doing um, a new Netflix show. Um, It's called Made. I don't play a maid. Don't worry, the Latina's not playing a maid. Um, but but yeah, it's really exciting. Um, it's based on a on an autobiography, and um, it should be good. I'm 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 so I'm so stoked to be in Victoria, which is in the beautiful British Columbia. And yeah, I mean, I couldn't honestly couldn't have imagined a better time to get out of Dodge. Good. So it's not a prequel to Made in Manhattan, the beautiful story <laughs> of J Lo and wish. the no. politician. You mean my dream come true? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, <laughs> it's not that. You'll be in management one day, girl. Stay with it. Yeah, boop, girl, boop. just stay with it, and you know, steal the rich lady's clothes, and maybe you'll get a man. Yes. <laughs> fucking movie i swear to god i watched it there's on the other day i'm like jesus christ i know it doesn't really hold oh. up does it a lot of things from that time no. don't hold up they really don't no no things from last week don't hold up but <laughs> uh here's what we're gonna do i'm gonna read you some headlines Great. and then you're going to either dance or make a fart sound no i'm kidding Great. um wh- and we're just going to discuss some of the headlines that are under the radar. These are flying under the radar because there's such massive news out with this indictment of the Russians and all the Russian hacking that's coming out, yep, the yep, Intel yep. reports and all this craziness. And uh, these are there's some important stuff going on. And so I wanted to discuss them with you. I know. I'm re- I, I'm, I read them. I'm like, I can't believe these are under the radar. Like, the, I mean, they're huge, but there's so much news. So it's, you know, it's a lot. Hmm. 
Mm-hmm. It is. So uh, before we get into what I had scripted earlier, something just came across my desk. It's some pretty awesome news that will likely get lost, like I said, in the mix today, and I wanted to tell you about it. Okay. A federal court ruled today that President Trump's order to exclude undocumented immigrants from census numbers for apportionment uh, you know, usage, yep. the congressional districts, is unlawful. So that is excellent, excellent news. That's really so great. Do you think that this will help with the gerrymandering issue that we have? No. Yes. I mean, it'll help for a portion, you know, because Trump basically put out an executive order saying, uh, I want to be able to use the census. I want to shut the census down early. I want at first he wanted to ask if you're a citizen on the census and he lost that battle. And then he said, "Okay, well, I'm going to shut it down early. And and he made, of course, despite shutting it down early, despite putting the citizenship question on there, he made immigrants terrified to fill it out in the first Mm -hmm. place because now your name's on file with the federal government under Trump. And so he wanted to take those numbers without representation, without correct representation, to use to apportion uh, districts in in the House of Representatives. And that would have not really changed gerrymandering, but it would have lowered the number of representatives Mm -hmm. from a a specific area. And and the the court was like, fuck no, unanimous, three nothing. Amazing. They're like, pound sand. Bye. Asshole. Bye, bitch. A lot of the damage is done with the census, unfortunately. Um, Like I said, even if, you know, Tish James or we elect Biden and everyone's like, the census is back on, everybody answer it. I think that that people are just still going to be reticent to write down you know, where they're at, yeah. uh, even though you don't have to say whether you're a documented citizen or not. It's just going to it's going to it's going to skew the numbers. Yeah, there's been so much fear, you know, and, and, and it's it's justifiable fear. I mean, with people thinking like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to get deported or my kids, I'm going to be separated from my kids. So but what's so awful about the situation is that all Trump had to do with was sow that seed of doubt and fear. And it's going to have ripples for the next 10 years. And that's just what's so sad about how one suggestion, one comment, one person can have these effects on our democracy. And and, and we're going to be dealing with this, like you said, way after Trump is out of office, way after. We're going to be talking about Trump for a long time. Womp womp. That gets a fart. (laughs) Yeah. And what they said here is what we what we thought, what we had argued, um, that Trump's executive memorandum violates the executive branch's constitutional responsibility to count the whole number of persons in each state and to apportion members of the House of Representatives among states according to their respective numbers. So you know, Trump was saying whole persons uh, means citizens. And, and the, the court's like, no, it doesn't. It doesn't say that anywhere. That's what you say, you yep. racist pile of xenophobic shit. <laughs> Uh, This ruling prohibits the Department of Commerce from reporting any information regarding undocumented immigrants in its census count that could be used to implement this directive. So it takes it a step further. You can't even report information regarding undocumented immigrants. Great. Um, So that's that's the thing. Yay. I'm sure it'll be appealed up to the Supreme Court. And since we've learned uh, in the last couple of days that Trump wants to nominate Ted Cruz. Oh, my. I just can't. And Tom Cotton uh, to the Supreme Court. Uh, they should just nominate they should literally just nominate my grandmother I mean if we're gonna go that at least she's not like a racist xenophobe you know what I mean at least she's like a person with the heart and empathy they might as well just just he might as well just nominate her ass completely you know 
no experience, completely unprepared for the job. But I mean, these guys, she'll do a better job than either of those two guys. Yeah. And nobody wants the Zodiac Killer on the Supreme Court. No, so thanks. Um, <laughs> going, going on here. Um, out in the Washington Post today, mm-hmm. Bob Woodward, that's the guy who released the uh, tapes of Trump saying he knew about the deadliness of COVID yes. back on February 7th. Lordy, there are Bob tapes. Woodward said there was... There are tapes, yes. And Woodward said, told the Washington Post today, there was no embargo or NDA that prevented him from releasing the tapes back in the springtime, but that he really wanted to put together a full narrative in its entirety to release before the election. And today, Trump... And everyone was like, what the fuck, bro? Yeah. And today, Trump also took on that topic, to that talking point. He's like, uh, Woodward knew. He could have told you. And and everyone in the press room was like, you're the president. Right. You knew. You're supposed to. The buck stops with Woodward? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Yeah. What do you What do you think about this? Because, mm. I mean, I'll tell you my, uh, let me, I'll tell you my thoughts. Really okay. Quick, because I, I have told my starfish story on here before. Yes. Uh, about how somebody in the military said to me that, you know, the kid picking up starfish uh, stranded on the beach, throwing them back in the ocean. And some old man walks up and says, what are you doing that for? And he's like, well, you know, these starfish will die if I don't save them. And he's like, there's millions. You can't possibly save them all. And the kid picks one up and throws it in the ocean. And he says, I just saved that one. And if if Woodward releasing these tapes in the spring saved one fucking life, right. one family's grief, um, and as he watched the death toll numbers tick up, as he watched Trump gaslight us into yep. into tricking us into thinking that this was no big deal. Yes, the experts were saying it was, but he was firing all them. He was muzzling all them and was putting them over on the sidelines. Uh, you know, all the death threats to Dr. Fauci as he watched the death threats to to health experts and and listened to Trump uh, try to force kids back in school and say kids are immune and they'll be fine. And just sat on those tapes. It just, I don't know. It's disturbing to me. I hate that I am also, right now that Trump has usurped this as a talking point because Trump and I are apparently saying the same thing. (laughs) But I can hold two things in my head. Yes. I can hold two things in my head. This is Trump's fault. The blood is on his hands. Yes. And Woodward should have released the tapes earlier. Like, I can hold those two things in my head at once. It's not one or the other. They're not mutually exclusive. Yes, yes. Uh, so that's that's kind of how I feel about it. Yes, I think th- I agree with you. Uh, there's one little thing where what if, I mean, it's it tastes like vinegar in my mouth. I wish he would have released the tapes because, like you said, one life saved is worth all of this. Maybe his calculation, which also begs the question of, like, uh, where is the journalistic kind of integrity here? Like, you know, whatever. In his mind, maybe he's thinking, Bob Woodward, I mean, well, if I just release these tapes when, you know, when it happened in late February or early March, then it gives him time. It gives this administration time to say, well, no, that was, the, you know, in the information I had at the time. And but now we have this new information and actually it's not that bad, you know, Um would it have just been swept under the rug more effectively than it can be swept under the rug now? Because we have almost what? We have over 200,000 people dead. So yeah, almost, yeah. It's just, it's just a really tough call. I think the moral choice is clear. Morally, he should have released the tapes. Um, maybe his, mm-hmm. he made a calculation about, well, what is going to be, uh, ultimately more powerful 
is it going to be releasing this information as I get it? Uh, or is it going to be, because people, would people even have believed it back then? Even though he's on tape saying it, but, you know, people weren't seeing people they knew die at that time. You know, so I don't know mm-hmm. if it would have had the same effect. Right. And and there's also the argument that um, by releasing uh, this particular tape and more tapes, we'll talk right. about another one that came out today, getting close to the election and having that help get Trump out of office. How many lives do you save down the road? Right. But that's like, a, I, you know, I'm always like, a yeah, but how many eggs do you have to break to make an omelet? And it's it's a moral conundrum. Um, I, you know, like I said, I, I I'm not in that situation. I can tell you what I think I would do. I also don't know what else he has. Right. He may have other really damning tapes, but people have a copy of his book. So I would assume it would be in there. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as we know, tapes have a bigger impact than a, a book by Woodward. Yes. So um, it's. It's kind of, it's a, it's a tough call to know. We'll never know. We'll never know which was the better decision because we can't. We'll never know. And also I have a feeling that his base, they don't care. I mean, if they don't care by now, they, they're not going to care. You know what I mean? I mean, he's literally shat all over his base to their face and they don't care. It's like a cult. So, you know, uh, hopefully this, this, um, this reaches that small, small percent of undecided voters. Uh, but at this mm-hmm. time, I just don't understand how anybody's undecided. I mean, like, <laughs> dude, <laughs> if you're undecided by now, yeah. I don't get it. You know, I don't get it. No, I don't. I don't get it either. Um, it, it, what I was talking about a second ago, the other thing um, that happened today, we learned today, Trump bragged to Bob Woodward that he protected Saudi Arabia's Mohammed bin Salman, we call him Mohammed Bonesaw, from congressional <laughs> scrutiny after the assassination of Jamal Khashoggi. Had, Trump said, I saved his ass. I was able to get Congress to leave him alone. How despicable. And the president told Woodward he didn't believe that MBS ordered Khashoggi's murder, though the U.S. and other foreign intelligence services concluded that he did or ordered the attack and uh, that he did order the attack. And after Khashoggi's murder, Trump bypassed Congress to sell roughly eight billion dollars in arms to the Saudis and the UAE. He vetoed a trio of resolutions blocking the sale, as well as a resolution to end U.S. support of the Saudi-led coalition in Yemen. And if you remember, the inspector general at the State Department was looking into Pompeo's emergency declaration mm-hmm. that paved the way for that Saudi arms sale, and then he was fired by Trump, and we still don't have that report. So, <sighs> Wait, this is on tape as well? Do, you, do we know if this is on tape? Yeah, well, there's quotes here. Right. Actually... I don't know if this is on tape. I mean, I think he recorded all of the 18 interviews, so I'm sure he has it somewhere. But either way, I mean, this is, you know, this isn't a, a stretch. Anybody would believe that this happened. He was he, he was defending him from jump, even when every single sign po- pointed toward uh, uh, MBS, we'll call him, um, Bonesaw murderer. <laughs> and, and it's just, it's actually, I, I know that there's a lot going on right now, but if you peel this onion it's really just so much worse than the press is the enemy of the people. He's literally letting someone who attacked a journalist, who murdered a journalist, who called, who assassinated a, a journalist, protecting him and then bragging about it. Like, you know, that there's just something really nefarious. It's all nefarious, but this is ex- extraordinarily disgusting. Yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, you know, he didn't come out 
strong uh, after the poison attack on Navalny, Putin's no. opposition um, leader. And, he loves these guys. Yeah. So he wishes he could do this shit. He loves this stuff. You know, it's like it's yeah. almost like he looks up to them. And and what the crazy part is, you know, being up here in in um in Canada is that like people talk about Trump constantly, right? They're like, you're American. Let's talk about Trump. And, you know, I what they they're always saying, like, you know, people are protesting because they have to wear a mask in public. And I'm like, yeah, can you believe that they're protesting that shit and they don't protest the, the erosion of the free press? And the, you know what I mean? Like, this is the stuff that actually should get people out in the streets. You know, this is the first step toward mm-hmm. authoritarianism is 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 getting people to not give a fuck about the truth, about the media, about uh, journalists. And this is he's yeah. succeeded in that one of that's one of Trump's like biggest accomplishments is getting people to think everything is fake news. Yep. Yep. And uh, <laughs> Megan McCain, by the way, came out on The View today and said that the media is the end of the enemy of the people. And Joy Behar is like, no, they're not. And she's like, well, for Republicans, it is. And I'm like, yeah. And for criminals, the law right. is the enemy of the people. So, like, what? And then also... Also, she's the media. <laughs> that's it. I just, I <laughs> tweeted out. I was stupid. like, the media is the the media is the enemy of the people, says the media lady. Right, like, what right. the fuck are you talking about? I mean, AG, she's clearly, like, up in her... She's the princess of Arizona. <laughs> Okay, leave her alone. Let them let them eat. I don't know whatever the fuck they eat in Arizona. Mm, well, they're gonna flip blue, so she can suck it. Yeah. All right. Um, anyway, thank you so much for joining me today for headlines from under the radar. I appreciate it. You're gonna join us a little bit later for the good news block. Will you stick with us? Yeah. Sweet. All right, everybody. We'll be back with the director and producer of the film Unfit, Dan Partland, right after this quick break. So stay with us. Hey everybody, it's AG, and this portion of Daily Beans is brought to you by Plush Care. With all that's happening now in the pandemic and social distancing, everyday tasks are so much more difficult, but seeing a doctor shouldn't be. That's why I recommend Plush Care. Plush Care provides primary and urgent health care through virtual appointments, and scheduling an appointment, even for the same day, is super easy. A couple of clicks, I pick a slot, bam, I'm booked online. So I don't waste any time on hold on the phone or sitting in crowded waiting rooms. And with my Plush Care membership, I can see my doctor from the comfort of my own home, wearing my onesies. Awesome. With Plush Care, I can get diagnosed, treated, and have prescriptions sent to my local pharmacy if needed, all within minutes. And if I have any questions before or after the visit, I can send unlimited messages to the care team anytime. And Plush Care accepts most major insurance carriers, and it's available in all 50 states. And with how difficult things are, if you're feeling anxious, depressed, or stressed about what's going on in the world, Plush Care doctors are there to help by discussing treatment options and providing prescriptions as needed. Personally, my Plush Care experience has been awesome. Signing up was simple. It only takes a minute, and it's just as easy to schedule an appointment. The entire process is convenient and user-friendly, and I was immediately comfortable with my doctor because all Plush Care doctors graduated from one of the top 50 medical schools, and they're all highly rated by their patients. So I have peace of mind that I'm getting the highest quality health care. Plush Care makes it easy for me to get the excellent care I need when I need it, and they can do the same for you. So start your membership today. Go to plushcare.com slash dailybeans to start your free 30-day trial. That's P-L-U-S-H-C-A-R-E dot com slash dailybeans for a free 30-day trial. Again, plushcare.com slash dailybeans. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Joining me today for the interview, I'm very excited about this, is the director and producer of the documentary about Donald Trump's mental health, Unfit. And his name is Dan Partland. Dan, welcome to the show. 
Thank you for having me. Good to be here. Yeah. Now, I'm so glad to talk to you because I've, I have not spoken to you yet. You have not been on our show yet, uh, but I just finished watching this today and I watched it yesterday. I watched it twice. And what a cast. We, you know, you've never been on our show, but in your documentary, we have Malcolm Nance, Bill Crystal, George Conway, Richard Painter, truly this incredible cast. A lot of, uh, of these folks have been on our show to discuss um, you know, Donald Trump policies in the way that he is. So I, I'm, this is just such a well done documentary. I want to congratulate you. Thank you so much. And I wanted to start by asking you, uh, you know, besides the obvious or including the obvious, what prompted you to make this documentary? When did you start this process? And, and what was it that sort of pushed you into it? God, well, I mean, start, you know, independent uh, feature docs take forever to make. And, you know, this one was particularly challenging because we're talking about current events and, and the current events were always changing. But actually, in there is kind of the reason that we made the film, which was in uh, the early part of the Trump administration, it was as though every day it felt like there was a new scandal and the news cycle would sort of be bandied about from one issue to the next and covering each one like it was a new thing. But in truth, there was an obvious sameness to all of them. And it started to feel really frustrating. How come no one is talking about the sameness? Can't we identify, can we give some language to what is the same about these things, even though they're all over the map in terms of the issue set that is addressed? And the the sameness turns out to really be Donald Trump's psychology itself. And so once we kind of got on that route and started to see what prominent uh, mental health professionals were saying about Trump's own psychology, we we really felt like that was an important piece of insight that was not being covered by the news and that the news really is incapable of of covering because they're trying at least to be news, you know, and, and there's too much um, opinion and, and um, editorializing in there. And it's and it's dicey ground for a lot of reasons. Mm, yeah, yeah. And, and it's interesting, you talk about these through lines, uh, uh, early on of watching, you know, keeping up on the current events and watching the scandal after scandal come out of the White House in this administration. And you talk about, you know, the common threads there. But then you sort of uh, move into not just the connection, the connective tissue underpinning what, you know, dovetails between all these scandals with his with his mental health. But you you then touch on the through lines between these current events and scandals and Trump's impact on them along with his childhood and and sort of his upbringing and what may have caused him to become this way. Yeah, we glance off of that. A wonderful um, psychiatrist um, wrote a book um, about Trump's psychology, Dr. Justin Frank. And we use a lot of his thoughts and insights about how Trump's environment may have affected him. But the 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 more important thrust of the film isn't really to get behind what may have shaped him although we we look at it a little bit it's more to to impart language and a framework to the audience for understanding trump's behavior because the um diagnoses the different possible diagnoses and pathologies that are talked about in the film are really identified not from having any insight into his inner soul about you know what his relationship was with his mother or where you know what he what he loves or hates what gives him anxiety it really is about just straight up analysis of what his behavior is and looking at the behavior in light of the sort of 
established criteria for understanding uh, behavioral pathologies. And it turns out there's a very strong case to be made uh, that he has he has actually a full complex uh, constellation of mental health conditions. Mm. Yeah, a hundred percent. And and I think that the most uh, like. Uh, we, I know a lot of our listeners have read Mary Trump's book, for example, and yeah. and that kind of is a, a solid sort of foundational explanation or, you know, a group of of uh, things, you know, just uh, things that happened to him or that he was like as a child. And then we've got your your film here, which takes it, you know, which explains how all of the things that are going on now uh, are, are impacted by that. And so I totally loved the way that you did this because, you know, like you said, you glanced off that, but you're focused more on how that impacts, you know, what's going on now, everyday life, national security, how the president reacts to how he, he forms policy, you know, with cruelty and sadism. But and I want to get to that um, narcissistic uh, malignant narcissism. But I also wanted to talk about, because I know a lot of people have thought about this, the Goldwater rule, and then, you know, the Tarasov rule, or the duty to warn, and how that plays into your, uh, you know, decision to make this film and, and have every everyone uh, speak on these things. Well, this is why some of the, um, some, th- there's some controversy around this issue, which is that the APA, American Psychiatric Association, has a, a in its code of conduct an ethical rule that is known as the Goldwater Rule um, that prohibits mental health professionals from speaking publicly um, about a um, politician, about public figures whom they have not seen in privately in a clinical setting. When you think about it, there's something very smart about it. I think we we don't want to politicize mental health. It's a very complicated issue. And frankly, the public needs more literacy about mental health in general, which is also a goal of the film we can talk about uh, as a side note. But they, to to recognize, to be able to understand what is just behavior and a personality treat and what is a um, pathology or disorder, I mean, that's complicated. And you really want to hear from specialists. The problem is the Goldwater rule, and this is, you know, the history is because there was a lot of um, speculation about Barry Goldwater's mental health during the 1964 campaign, and a lot of it was really irresponsible. It was of this other variety that was more about speculating about his inner, his inner emotional life that, you know, people couldn't have known from the outside. Today, our diagnostic framework is much more about observable behavior. And so the problem is if you prohibit mental health professionals from speaking about uh, a public figure whom they haven't seen in the clinical setting and anyone who they have seen in the clinical setting, they're prohibited from speaking about because of confidentiality. Effectively, you've gagged the entire issue. You've taken the issue off the table. We are not allowed to speak about mental health and competency. We, we speak about this with the hiring of any position of public trust, teachers, cops, childcare uh, providers have to have a psych evaluation. But the president of the United States with, a, with the sole power to launch nuclear weapons has no 
uh, ha- we're not even allowed to speak about it under the Goldwater Rule. So the, psych- the mental health professionals in the film really push back on that very strongly and I think make an overwhelming case that that's really not the appropriate interpretation. We don't want mental health professionals speculating publicly about things they don't know. But about things that are observable, of course they should. In fact, they have a duty to warn. And that's the second part of the question you asked, which is the Tarasov Rule is, is uh, in at odds with the Goldwater rule. The Tarasov rule enshrines in the code of conduct the the obligation that a mental health professional has to warn the public when they see imminent danger. Um, And that's based on a case where exactly what what you would think happened, where the mental health professional knew that someone was intending, you know, his boyfriend was intending to murder his girlfriend, but because of the um, ethical rules about um, confidentiality didn't speak up, and in fact, the guy went home and murdered his girlfriend. So now it really is not just in the code of conduct, but in law that uh, mental health professionals are mandated reporters when they uh, have reason to believe there's imminent danger. Yeah, it makes me think of Jim Jordan <laughs> in, in Ohio, <laughs> um, who had a duty to warn. Um, now, I I want to talk about and they, you're right. The, all of the mental health experts you have in the documentary they do make a very strong case for this, and they also discuss what they see uh, that be from observable behavior, and that's malignant narcissism. Can you talk about malignant narcissism and the four components? Yeah, well, malignant narcissism is it's um, not really an official diagnosis in in the DSM five the um, uh, di- the man manual of um the diagnostic and statistical manual of mental and social and and emotional disorders but it has four different components to it and each of those is an actual um disorder in as defined in the dsm and this is really a theory that was created by a legendary um, psychiatrist named eric Fromm who escaped the Nazis and really devoted his career to trying to understand the nature of evil in human beings. And what he defined as uh, the diagnosis of malignant narcissism was antisocial personality disorder, narcissistic personality disorder, paranoia, and sadism. And when you look at the component parts, again, each of them defined by observable behavior, um, there's a strong case to be made that that Donald Trump suffers from those. And, you know, it's not um, any one of them is troubling on their own, but all of them together um, really presents a, a, a severe problem for governance. You know, I mean, it's not true that any different psychological diagnosis is uh, disqualifying from from positions of leadership or any position. It really depends on what the disorder is and what the job is, you know, and how, you know, how compatible are these things. I think the problem is that antisocial personality disorder, which I'll just read a a distillation of it, is marked by disregard for others, deceit, law-breaking, lying, manipulation, impulsivity, lack of moral conscience, lack of remorse. That alone is you know, pretty incompatible with being the president of the United States. Um, malignant narcissist, or let me see if I can get a narcissistic personality disorder, an inflated sense of self-importance, excessive need for adoration, arrogance, entitlement, and hypersensitivity to any form of criticism. 
These are written in plain English, and if I were to read them all to you, um, a paranoid personality disorder, excessive mistrust and suspiciousness, prone to conspiracy theories, preoccupied with perceived disloyalty in others and quick to counterattack. I mean, I have a feeling if I read all of these <laughs> and just asked you if there was any public figure who you knew who sounded like they might, um, you know, they, they might fit this as a description, I don't think you would have to dig too hard to, to find one. No, and with each of those criteria, I could give you uh, multiple examples of observable behavior that fall into each of those categories. Uh, I think anyone could, and I think that's why this, the case is so strong. And then, you know, you bring up Fromm, and uh, and 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 we start we start to get into um, not a comparison to Hitler uh, per se, more of a comparison into the into the personalities between yeah. them. Right? Is that sort of what you were going for? Absolutely. I mean, look, I think a lot of people are right, rightly uncomfortable with making that comparison at all or jumping to it too quickly. But I think um, the case is made by um, several of the, um, these are very prominent um, um, psychologists and psychoanalysts, uh, and, and psychiatrists rather. Um, the case is made that as a personality type, um, this um, syndrome, you know, of these four, these four traits that together we call malignant narcissism, that that as a personality type really is similar between Trump and a lot of the, um, really, really, uh, problematic autocrats in, in modern world history. Um, I think that if people are right to be uncomfortable with it because they'll point out like, well, you know, I mean, my God, Hitler, Hitler went on a, a military course of world domination. He's responsible for the death probably of six million or so Jews and maybe another six million others in terms of, you know, different warring uh, atrocities. Um, okay, fair enough. I mean, that's not, we, I don't, but I think that the point is not that uh, Donald Trump is Hitler. It's that He's showing that he is capable of really monstrous acts because of a lot of similar deficiencies in his character. And I don't think for a second he has a plan for world domination or anything. But if you look at what was said about Hitler, remember Hitler was democratically elected. He, uh, as he was coming to power in the 20s, if you read the comments of what people were saying about him at the time, um, they're really very, very similar that, you know, People, you know, it was almost to the point of really having that language of taking literally or seriously. Everybody thought, well, once he gets in a position of greater power, he's going to turn and move towards the public good in a better way. But really what he did was he he captured um, he captured a giant portion of the electorate that was very aggrieved and he played to their grievances and he found a. a a common enemy to sort of bully and rally people around. And then the last aspect I think of what is common in these um, autocrats is that they, you know, they tend to be really good at wielding power and they tend to be really bad at governance. And I think that we're already seeing that with Trump. Like, yeah, he's, he's pretty expert in wielding power and getting people to do what he wants. And in, in this case, it turns out to be breaking norms and breaking a lot of, a lot of the values and you know of our system a lot of the institutions but he's not any good at governance 
um, because all that together doesn't really work. What what a lot of autocrats offer their followers is the promise of just as something super generic, a better Germany in Hitler's case, a better America in, in Trump's case. But they offer them it by blood right, by um, yeah, blood right, by birthright. They offer nothing in particular. In you know, we're saying we're gonna make you great again by virtue of your birthright as a, you know, I think as a, you know, as a white American, as a white Christian American. Um, and part of that thing uh, is, um, that's what you offer people when you have nothing, when you're not really planning to do anything for them. You know, Hitler, Hitler was about blood and soil. It was just to restore your pride in yourself for being genetically pure Aryan German. Um, mm. and that, and if you can make people proud enough in that and want and feel validated enough in that, they don't tend to look that closely at what you're actually doing. I mean, the tax cuts that he was very proud of, which is pretty much his only legislative accomplishment, um, you know, 80% of that went to the wealthy. It didn't really go to the people who um, he was making a case for um, being their, their, their uh, warrior, their, the, the, you know, the, the sergeant for their, for their causes. Um, he hasn't really built a wall. Um, you know, that's a complicated thing. I'm not interested in getting into the policy of it. I'm just getting interested in getting into the psychology of it, um, which is it's about having a certain group really feel strong and empowered as the in-group and have everybody else feel um, on the outs the, as the enemy. They're the out-group. And if we can get enough people jazzed up about how good it feels to be in the in-group, we have a real chance to stick together as a movement. Yeah, and we saw that a lot in the 80s and 90s with the rise of the neo-Nazis again um, through the, you know, and we can read that all on the Southern Poverty Law Center's website where they were recruited by, because they felt disenfranchised and left behind. And so they were given an enemy, the others, and mm. and recruited and, and, and promised, I don't know, a better life, uh, but, you know, rewarded with literally nothing in interwar Germany, they you know interwar europe rather um they you know they were really destroyed from world war one things were really tough really the the culture had been massively destabilized rampant unemployment you know rubble in the streets and all that and um they weren't really pulling out of it very well so they were right to be um fearful and destabilized and the history is that when people feel that way, they are more inclined to follow the simple and clear direction of the autocrat who stands up and says, I alone can fix it. So that's basically an analogy to today. I mean, we had this um, massive financial crisis in 2009. We've got massive demographic shifts, uh, race and immigration. Um, we've got the destabilizing forces, honestly, of social media and our current state of kind of information pollution, where it's really hard for people to tell what's true and what isn't anymore. Um, and then a climate apocalypse, you know, absolutely. People are fearful. And that's what's really interesting, because ultimately, the film looks to, at the psychology of the electorate that put him in power, because Donald Trump's psychology is not in of itself all that interesting. He's one guy. But there have always been guys like Trump. The question is, why it was the ground fertile in 2016 for a guy like that to take root? Well, 
I, I really, really encourage everyone to watch this. It's it's so detailed and it covers so much ground and the cast is incredible. You really put together an amazing documentary and I, I'm uh, I'm so I'm proud to share it because I think the work that you've done is really um, not only incredible, but also very prescient and important, especially leading up to this election. So thank you for that. And can you tell everyone where they can find it? Excellent. Thank you for having me, Allison. Uh, the film is hashtag unfit, the psychology of Donald Trump. It's currently playing on about 15 different streaming pl- platforms on demand, including Apple iTunes, Amazon, uh, Fandango, Microsoft, Google Play, on and on, and a bunch of cable carriers to Direct TV, Comcast Spectrum. Find it. You can find it. If you want to see. It's definitely out there. It was easy to find for me as well. So thank you so much, uh, director, producer of the documentary about Donald Trump's mental health, Unfit. Dan Partland, I appreciate you coming on today. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Uh, everybody stick around right after this quick break. We'll have the good news block with Shira, Amy Carrero. So stay with us. Hey, Daily Beans listeners, it's AG. 2020 has been a big old pile of poop so far. We could all use a break from the stress and the constant bad news. And if you're looking for a fun way to give yourself a break while keeping your brain engaged and enjoying breathtaking visuals and a gripping story, try the game Best Fiends. It is a super fun game app. I'm kind of obsessed with it. I love Best Fiends because it's a refreshing pause from the daily insanity of politics. Good self-care. Keeps my skills and my mind focused and active, which I love. And it's great. It's a great stress reliever, and it's part of my self-care, like I said, but because I can focus on the character collection in Best Fiends, and I can also focus on the fun, challenging puzzles. Their strategy, right? It engages my brain, and I have fun. I started playing Best Fiends once in a while as a quick distraction, but I was so captivated. Uh, The colors are beautiful. The visual design is awesome. I got deeper into the game and the characters, uh, many of which are bugs, and the antagonists are slugs, so it's a lot like this administration. And you collect tons of characters. You level them up. You use them strategically. I find myself playing more and more in weird places at random times because it doesn't require the internet, so you don't have to worry about Wi-Fi access or using cell data. Best Fiends treats the game like a service for their players, and it updates it monthly with new levels, so it never gets old. Uh, I'm on level 492 now, uh, so that's pretty awesome. And uh, we kind of have battles online (laughs) on our Twitter accounts by what level we're up to. Uh, But I digress. Best Fiends is a unique and exciting puzzle experience, unlike any other games out there. Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. So download Best Fiends for free at the Apple App Store or on Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Hey everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we're blown on good news is on the way. And it's Friday, and Friday means it's the good news block with Shira. Amy Carrero, how are you? I'm so good. I can't wait to read some good news. Yes. Yes, we need it. Now we need it. Granted that, you know unanimous judge panel like telling trump to i know it's pretty good that's pretty good that was like a that was the appetizer yes that was the good news teaser appetizer what's the appetizers okay delish now here we go with our good news and we have some confessions too we've we've mixed the the quarantine confessions back into the mix so you'll see it's either it's either good news You sound like Aziz Ansari in Parks and Rec. (laughs) Going to the club, snake juice. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. I'll take it. (laughs) All right. 
Uh, anyway, our first, if you have a good news story or a confession to submit or a correction, send it to dailybeanspod.com. Go to dailybeanspod.com. Click on contact and you'll see a drop down menu of what flavor of thing you want to send. So you can just do that there. And you can send good news stories that are personal or if they're political or whatever, as long as they're good news. We love it. Now, our first good news story comes from Kelly. Uh, pronouns she and her. Hello, lovely legumies. Okay, legumies. I love that. Uh, mm, It's very nice. One upside to the pandemic is that I have gotten to co-run a Minecraft server on my homeschool resource center with my 18-year-old nephew. He lives eight eight hours away, and even in normal times, I rarely get to see him more than once or twice a year. When it came up today that he knew almost nothing about politics and that his mainstream public high school hadn't taught him anything about civics and state and local government and that he avoided politics, I told him to use his white boy privilege to make things better. We spent over an hour talking about what is going on in the world beyond the major headlines, what district he lives in, what state senator do- what his state senator does, who the squad is, and a lot more. <laughs> this will be the first election he's eligible to vote in, and I told him he'd better vote or else. His mind was blown, and I'm barraged. I barraged him with links and further reading, including instructions to subscribe and listen to the Daily Beans. <laughs> so, kiddo, you better be listening to this right now. Love, Auntie Shit Show Lullaby Kelly. <laughs> Listen, I want auntie. I want an auntie shit show. Someone get me one. I know. Me too. I want a shit show, Godmother. I love this lady. I just, ugh, this is great. This is exactly what we need. And I'm so glad that her nephew was receptive. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Auntie shit show lullaby, Kelly. That's so great. Um <laughs> <laughs> what do we have? Who's next? Uh, okay, who's next? we got... Well, I love this one. I'm so glad I get to read it. Okay, from Anonymous, she, her. Part good news, part confession. Hello, lovely beans queens. Rapid COVID testing is finally available in Colorado. Woohoo! After six months of almost zero human contact, a friend of mine and I drove 90 minutes, masked of course, to get tested in hopes that we might be able to make out. <laughs> and possibly a bit more. We both work Ooh. in retail and we're surrounded by outbreaks in nearby shops and restaurants so the outlook wasn't great but we both tested negative exclamation point a lot of public making out happened afterwards and even more once we made the 90 minute drive home colorado is currently dealing with a ton of wildfires and while driving home through a ton of smoke and ash falling like rain i felt so guilty for driving that distance to take the test solely so that i can make out with someone but selfishly it was 100 percent worth it I mean, human contact. That's listen. You d- you did what you got to do, okay? And you did it safely. It would have been irresponsible, mm-hmm. you know, not to do it. But I'm really hoping the makeout session was good because, you know, you drove for a total of three hours. So, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, they said makeout session. Maybe more. Maybe more. You know. Okay, but I want to know. So. <laughs> can you follow up? with um where this took place <laughs> was it in the car <laughs> like what what would happen like i just you know i don't know i just need a little more detail mm. yeah especially about making out stuff you're gonna have to send in a follow-on yes um we're gonna need a sequel to yes, the please. making out plus more drive. yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yep <laughs> details please details uh, next up, good news from uh, Melissa, pronoun she, her. Some good news from Canada. Oh, oh that's hey. where you are right now. Oh, hey, What's Canada. Up? Oh, hey. 
Sorry. Uh, about two, a boot, should I say a boot two weeks ago, <laughs> yes. I found out that the restaurant I've been working at on weekends for almost three years is closing by the end of September. Over wow. the Labor Day long weekend, I asked another restaurant in town if they were hiring. They are hiring for another location uh, that they are opening in a nearby town. I was a bit hesitant, but I applied for a part-time dishwashing position with the restaurant on Labor Day. I opened up my email on Wednesday morning to find out they wanted to have me out for an interview on Friday morning. I had been a bit down over the weekend um, uh, that I may have to wait a year or so to even land an interview. While I know that it may take a while to find a new job, I will have my disability pension. I'm on the autistic spectrum to rely on for the next while. I know that I will eventually find something. Wish me luck. Melissa, break a leg. That's what we say down here. Yes, break a leg. And I have a good, good feeling that Mm -hmm. you are going to find employment very, very soon because things are looking Mm -hmm. up up here in Canada. So everybody, big Care Bear stare, send... Thoughts and stairs to Melissa. That's what I'm going to call them now. Thoughts and stairs because of the Care Bear stare. Thoughts and loving stairs. Thoughts and non-creepy stairs, okay? (laughs) Non-creepy. Okay. I think we're going to, I think we can get everyone in the Leguminati to like right now just, mm, just like feel it and send you that positive energy. I know you're going to get it. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to do a little sound effect for you. Ready? Those are the non-creepy stairs. There you go. Well, that's better. That's better. I love that. Okay. Shall we read the next one? Yes, please. Okay. From Mary. She, her. My husband and I went camping over the Labor Day weekend. We went to a state park near us. We wore masks uh, when we weren't in our tent and we practiced social distancing. There were miles of hiking trails as well as a lake that was open for fishing and swimming and kayaking. It was so nice to get away for the weekend and unplug from the news. Each campsite had a grill and a fire ring so we roasted marshmallows and hot dogs and made s'mores. The weather was great and it was nice falling asleep at night to a symphony of nocturnal insect sounds. Wow. That's that sounds like a oh, lovely time. That sounds wonderful. Take us with you, Mary, next time. Okay? Be nice. I know. Come on, camper. Take me with you. <laughs> that sounds beautiful. I love camping. I miss camping. I'm going to do it again soon. Do it. Do it. It's a good social distancing COVID safe activity, right? You just yes. go camping. There's got to be, you know, she sits outside. You wear your mask outside the tent. It sounds like it would be, it would work out well. But not probably, yeah, probably wait for the fires to die down a little bit, unfortunately. Yes. Here yeah. in California and Colorado, pretty much everywhere in yeah. the West. Uh, we do definitely need to do that. Um, it's bad. Uh, but um, our next submission is from Jay in East Texas. Pronouns they and them. Today, I went to my doctor and found out I'm okay to leave my apartment with a mask uh, for five weeks since my COVID diagnosis. Now I'm good to go uh, to the Department of Public Safety, DMV and other states, to get my license changed to my new name so I can get my birth certificate changed so I can get my social security card changed and my bank accounts changed. It's so fascinating how many places won't take a court order properly signed by a judge as sufficient documentation for a name change but instead require a photo ID. Sigh. It is even more annoying because the license isn't printed in the office but must be mailed from Austin. Double arg. But here's a picture of my two cats. Oh. Leo and Ginger Chris. They're so <gasps> freaking cute. I can't. It's, oh, it's a tuxedo oh, and an orange so, tabby. So, and the little pink ears and the little pink nose. 
shoes. Can I just also, this is, this is a piece. very, very strange compliment for Jay, but their heels that are evident in the photo are very moisturized, not cracked in the slightest. I don't know what Jay wears mm. around the house or, you know, about town, but I need a pair of these shoes because my heels don't look like that. Mm-mm. Mm, me neither. I mean, whose heels look like that? I do not know. East Texas. Whoo. I think I stopped in Junction when I was driving from Orlando to Los Angeles. I don't recommend doing that ever. <laughs> um, yeah. Why? I guess I'll get that story another time. I got out of the Navy and I had to get back to home. Ooh, so. conf- from, from Orlando. Station in Orlando. From Orlando to freaking L.A. It's like ugh, insane. Well, you did it, and you've lived to tell mm. the tale. Tell the tale. Ooh, we got a confession next from Donna. Ooh, ooh. She, her, confession. We have been sleeping on a Trump-branded Serta mattress since 2006. <gasps> I've thought long and hard about burning that thing, <sighs> that thing effigy, but I think of the em- environmental damage, and I can't follow through. We can't afford a new one. Or it would have been gone four years ago. All right, Donna. Donna, oh. look, what are you going to do? Okay. First of all. You can get up to $200 off your mattress at helixsleep.com slash daily beans. There, He's there you go. Okay. Look, serving uh, you serving you options here. But also, and, and yes, the Trump thing is, it sucks. But also you should know that you should change your mattress like every eight to 10 years, they say. Because of, you, you know why? Ugh. It doubles in in weight because of hair and oils, body oils. Isn't that fucking um, disgusting no, 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 and dead no, no, skin? No, no, no. So Donna, look, take 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 us up on the Daily Beans promotion with the Helix mattress. Uh, I think it's I think it's time for way more reasons than Trump to to let that one go. Mm, maybe we can start a GoFundMe for Donna so she can get a non-Trump branded mattress. Yeah, I'm, I listen. I will I will contribute. Mm. Mm. Call Helix. See if I can pull some strings. Yeah. Okay, Donna, we got you. We got you. We're gonna figure this out. I can't. I... No one needs to be sleeping on a Trump home. Anything. Life. Anyway, at least it's Serta, and I mean, the, just like Trump, he doesn't he doesn't yeah, make it's like, mattresses. It was like a he collab. just puts his name on other people's shit, right? So at least name it's Serta. It. Take comfort, yeah, 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 yeah literally, sure. in the fact that you're sleeping on a Serta mattress. Just why don't you just sharpie the Trump yeah. part off the picture? Just like just he sharpies sharpie hurricanes, it, you know? just for now until we can get you the helix. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Boop. or remove it under penalty of law. Right? Boop, boop, boop. Watch the fucking border patrol shows up and oh breaks God. down your door. That's Did really you weird. remove the Trump tag from the mattress? <laughs> Get down on the floor. Uh, I had to. <laughs> it was giving me nightmares. That's the, it's that's the one law. time the law and order president refuses to allow you to remove mattress tags. I can see it now. Uh, next up from Anonymous. No pronouns here. Totally love Muller. She wrote in Daily Beans. Thanks for your hard work. You're welcome. Listen to, listen to, listening to your pod Tuesday, I was able to smile and get a small chuckle amidst a lot of worry. Instead of grilling out after work on a holiday, I came home to a very confused significant other who could not hold a conversation. He would zone out almost oh, no. like a child having quiet seizures, one right after the other. He was not exhibiting any facial drooping, could smile, and held my hands with equal pressure. Only was able, uh, only was unable to follow the concept of squeezing them tightly. He could not correctly answer my, my oriented X three questions. Scary shit. 
He did not know the day of the week, his address, didn't know the current president. I believe he suffered a significant TIA Monday. Going to the ER was non-negotiable due to severe PTSD from being restrained in a hospital after a major stroke three years ago. And he refused to get medical attention. I'm a healthcare professional, but I only deal drugs. Uh, I read about diseases, treatment, and stay CPR certified, but I don't have like hands-on saving lives. 24 hours later, my guy became more cognitive. Although we went to work an hour early in the morning, he still couldn't answer who the current president was. Bright spot. You all brought me. What a wonderful state of mind it would be to never remember Trump or the shit show of the last four years. I was wearing a Biden-Harris tee on Monday when I asked who the current president is, and he looked at me and said, Biden. That was followed by Harris, Reagan, Ford, and Carter, but I'll take the first response. Wow. <laughs> wow. What you a know. journey. God, I hope you're okay. I hope everything's all right. What, what is it? Do you, do you know what a TIA is? I don't know what oh, that stands let's see. for. I was like, first, I was, for some reason, thinking TBI, um, but that's not oh, it. Never heard of that. Let's see. Well, TBI is traumatic brain injury. Right, right. Is it TIA? TIA, it says. Medical abbreviation. That's Let's so see. strange. Um, yeah, prior stroke, uh, transient ischemic attack. Temporary blockage of blood oh. to the brain, similar to a stroke. It's a mini stroke. Oh, I see. I see. I see. God, that's got to be the most scary thing to go through, to like, you know, look into someone's eyes mm. that you know so well and, and you know, have them not like be all there has to be just the most terrifying Oh, but it sounds like they handled it, you know, really well in the best way they could, given the circumstances. And I hope they're okay. Yeah, please give us a follow up. Please give us a follow up when you can. Yes. I think we have time for one more good news story. We have one more Um, from Anonymous. He, him. I discovered you from your time on opening arguments. And while 2020 has been a terrible year on a macro level, personally, this year has been fantastic to me. I've not only been lucky enough to keep my job during the pandemic in IT, but I also moved into my own house in March as the pandemic was ramping up. Then last month, I adopted a kitten, included photo from her adoption day. It's VV cute. And my dog is absolutely thrilled most of the time by his little sister, and she loves him too. Finally, I found out a week ago that I was given a chance for my, uh, sorry, I was given a chance for my dream IT job that I get to start at the end of the month. So I want to give some good news back out to the world. I love hearing everyone else's and we all need any we can find at the moment. (gasps) This Mm. picture is just too much. I know. We'll send these out in the newsletter. We'll send these out in the newsletter. It's, it is uh, anonymous and he has uh, a cat on his sh- shoulder and then is petting the dog. And the dog is like, I love my life. The dog the face. Yeah, the dog is loving it. But also, can I point out that the cat is like, like her or his, I don't, is the cat, does the cat have a gender? Their um, butt is right on <laughs> the neck. And it's so cute. Mm-hmm. Yep. That cat backed it's that adorable. ass up. Back that he, yeah, the butthole is kind of right in the face. That's how they roll. <laughs> it's very cute. <sighs> oh, yeah, her adoption date. Well, I'm glad to end on that good note. Me too. Amy, thank you for doing this with me today. I really appreciate it. All the way from Canada. We're transnational now. Woohoo. Oh, yay. Look at us. I'm abroad. Mm. Um, I'm abroad abroad. Ah, you need to do a miniseries. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me on today. 
heck yeah. It's like one of my favorite days of the week, man. I really appreciate it. Me too. And um, I appreciate you. Oh, love fest. Um, and and we got to send out the good vibes. Remember, we everybody yes. has to send out the good vibes. Uh, for the job up there in Canada. And uh, thank you so much, everyone. I, you know, we will be seeing you at the happy hour later on today, 4 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. for the public. We're going to end it at 5.30 um, for the, the public. And uh, yeah, that's it. So everybody, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I've been AG. And I've been Amy Carrero. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by A.G. and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by A.G., Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. <laughs>